0: hi and welcome to the Productize podcast if you haven't subscribed already you can
1: find the Productize podcast from your favorite podcast player app and you can subscribe from there this is our show where we talk to productizers and innovators and
0: cover the stories behind great product experiences and why it matters to innovators and makers like you
1: You have Candice O'Brien. Welcome again. She's the co-founder of The Six, a strategy and innovation consultancy that empowers enterprise clients like Google, uh, Salesforce, and Cisco, and pioneering startups like Alutiu to ideate, collaborate, and execute quickly and efficiently for sustainable growth. Candice is passionate about helping organizations build better products, services, and organizational cultures. She helps to leverage human-centered approaches, including design and vision sprints. She's also the organizer of Design Sprint in New York City. That is the official Google Design Sprints global chapter community for practitioners and facilitators. Hi, Candice. Welcome. Thank you for being with us today. How are you? It's such a pleasure to
0: be here, Teresa. Thanks for having me.
1: Welcome. So, how how have you been dealing with this COVID pandemic for for this past year? Have you have you have time to to add some adventures?
0: I feel like the entire year has been an adventure on so many levels. I mean, professionally, personally, as well as in the United States, certainly societally. So when the lockdown started in New York, like last March, we had about two weeks to completely pivot our business model. As you mentioned, we run a lot of design sprints and vision sprints, as well as doing organizational design sprints. And that has really been predicated on the past, on getting groups of people, cross-functional teams in the same room working physically together, co-creating new ideas, and turning those into testable prototypes. And suddenly, what was a basic premise of our business, which was, you know, getting people together, that suddenly disappeared. So uh, like, I think, millions of other companies around the world, we had to tweak our processes really fast. We had to change our key strategies and metrics. We changed how we were operating basically. And uh, a lot of that stuff happened overnight. That was really an adventure, you know, but it was also amazing because what we've been able to do is really redevelop our service offering. Now, instead of on-site workshops, we're actually doing them that are fully remote And we found over the last year that can be as engaging and as productive an experience as actually being together in a room. But you do have Zoom fatigue that you need to deal with. So from that aspect, that's definitely been an adventure. I think from a societal perspective, especially in the United States, what COVID did was just shine a lot of light on where there were inequalities in society. There have been some big movements happening in the U.S. around Black Lives Matter. You know, there's been, like, violence towards Asian communities related to COVID. Three million women have left uh, the workforce in the last year because they couldn't, like, balance work and childcare. And for me and my partner, Diana Liu, These are like some big issues. They're not abstract to us. You know, we are women. We're people of color. So these have been things that were really meaningful for us. So it's been part of our adventure has been figuring out, like, how do we respond to what is happening in society? And how do we bring some of the tools of design? And how do we bring the platforms that we have to bear to help figure out solutions that are going to create more equity, create more opportunity. And, you know, we've been doing some mini workshops around social issues that are important to us. You know, we're trying to create safe spaces for conversation. So, that's been interesting. And then from a personal perspective, I've been very lucky. I'm very grateful that no one in my immediate family or my friend group has become ill and I still get to do the things that I enjoy doing. You know, I can still go hiking. I can still go running. I can still enjoy the outdoors. It takes a little bit more planning, but you know, overall
1: we're making it through. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting mission you have there. And I was going to ask that question, that this switch to remote, do you feel like you have a good work-life balance yourself, even at this time that we all, this is all pretty much remotely and I know that you are preparing to run the New York Marathon. How have you been preparing? Why do you want to go to to participate on the New York Marathon?
0: So work-life balance, absolutely not. I mean, the personal and the professional are completely intertwined now. And I think that that is true for everyone. You know, if you went into an office, one of the benefits is that there is a point where you have to leave and you feel your days end. I think now work blends into every aspect of your life. And I think the other thing that's uh, really interesting as well is we're actually running. So we've been running a design sprint for the last two weeks with a client where we have a lot of attendees from India. We have a lot of attendees from China. And what that's meant is that we are actually starting like 5.30, 6.30 in the morning you know, running these sprints. That is one of the great benefits of remote. Now you can engage with people who are around the world. Previously, we probably had those people flown into an office in the United States where we would work with them. So there's a lot of flexibility that working remotely allows you to do, but it also means that you may have to accommodate each other And I think people have been doing a great job of that, just finding ways to accommodate each other, being kind about schedules, being kind about around interruptions and stuff like that. So why am I running a marathon? Um, So last year I had signed up for the New York City Marathon because it was the 50th anniversary of the marathon. And I had run the marathon previously in 2015. And I thought, oh, this would be amazing. Five years later, 2020, it's the 50th anniversary. Incredible. And then, of course, for obvious reasons, it didn't happen. New York City is, the New York City Marathon is offering the possibility of doing a virtual marathon this year. So it's like, okay, well, maybe I will do that. Have I been preparing? Not in any way, shape or form. It is definitely on my to-dos. I I go out for an occasional run, but I think probably in July I will start really running. So I'm looking
1: forward to that. And I'm sure you will get it good. (laughs) So tell me about a little bit about yourself, your background, your earlier background, and what got you into product? What do you find most excited about it?
0: So I think like most people, I probably had a really winding road to product. I studied accounting and economics and my first real exposure to product management was during a period I was a trade marketing manager for a global CPG and some roles got consolidated and they needed someone who could be responsible for creating special packs for big box retailers like Costco and Walmart. And so, of course, those products were, you know, packaged food products. They weren't digital applications, but that was a really fantastic introduction to what I think are the most important elements of creating great products, you know, understanding the end-to-end customer life cycle, learning how to leverage user research and insights and decision-making, defining product strategy that's in line with your overall business strategy, all of those, those things, I think were really valuable to learn. And then prior to consulting, so prior to starting The Six, I started doing consulting. So I was with a large management consultancy, and I was working with companies who were doing large-scale digital transformations. That's where my partner, The Six, Dan, and I met. And um, we created an offering called Design for Digital. And what we were doing was leveraging human-centered design approaches like design thinking and design sprints to accelerate innovation with our clients. And sometimes that would be helping them design new processes. Sometimes it was about designing new products. Sometimes we were working specifically around organizational culture issues. And our claim to fame was that, you know, what was taking other teams months to do, we were doing in days and weeks. So instead of taking four months of user research and then, getting back to the client with a wireframe or a design mock-up. We'd do just enough research to really understand the problem space and the business opportunity. And then we'd run co-creation, design sprint with the client. We'd create the solution and then create a high-fidelity prototype that we could test with users. And essentially what we were doing then became the basis of what we do today as The six. And what is exciting about product is that you are always in a position of being able to create. Um, I love the idea of bringing new ideas into the world, seeing ideas come to life. When it's well done uh, with organizations that have, that are set up to do it, there's a lot of space for experimentation and learning in terms of product development. I also enjoy that. It is dependent on working with a cross-functional team to achieve it. So it's a, an extremely collaborative and creative process.
1: Interesting. Totally agree with that. So you you are the co-founder of the six. You you came to this idea of the design sprints and so on. But how do you feel? How how has it been in your experience so far?
0: We are in our third year as the six and the experience has been amazing. I mean, of course, we have all of the challenges that every entrepreneur is going to face, right? We have to establish our brand. We have to win clients. They're much larger competitors than than we are. We're wearing a hundred different hats and we have a hundred different roles. And then, of course, COVID came with its own challenges. But uh, what I enjoy is that every day I'm working with Super smart woman that I really respect and admire. And we're working on problems that are impactful for our clients and our customers. So, and that was a core part of why we started The Six. We, when Diana and I talked about founding the company, we focused it on the fact that we wanted our work to have impact. You know, we were spending a lot of time traveling around the world and we wanted to make sure that time we were spending away from our families and our lives was really meaningful and delivering something, you know, beyond like ensuring that team utilization was up or that we were maximizing billable hours, right? So we really were looking for opportunities to create value and to feel a sense of purpose in the work that we are doing. And then when we are doing organizational design with companies, that's a focus as well, because One of the reasons that employee engagement tends to be very low is that people don't feel their sense of purpose. They don't feel connected to the organization's mission. So we try really hard in the six to make sure that, you know, we're really thinking about our purpose and what we're doing. And uh, I think another aspect of why we wanted to start the six was really that we wanted to bring more diverse voices into the innovation process. But, you know, more women, more underrepresented groups to be part of ideating and co-creating around new products, around new organizational and business models. And so what we're doing with the six, and you mentioned that we run these global design sprint chapters, is that we are trying to create communities of practice and getting more people involved who can, you know, change the space around innovation.
1: That's really, really inspiring. And during this path of being a co-founder, what do you have learned about your leadership style? So about your strengths, how your weaknesses, how did, do you use that to be better, to become a better person and a better leader?
0: Well, I think I'm constantly learning. It's not just learned; It's this constant iterative process of inspection and I think self-examination, which I think is good because you need to have a growth mindset around leadership and, you know, think about what your strengths are. In my case, it's around strategy and project uh, execution and then really assessing the areas where you need to put in some work, some time, some curiosity to get better and um, for me, I think one thing that I've definitely worked on is a small, tiny, tiny tendency to sometimes micromanage because I have the ways I like things done. And sometimes when you're delegating things, it's easier to jump in or and say, hey, why don't you do it this way? So one of the things that I've really worked on is making sure that I'm providing the context that people need so they understand that what we're trying to achieve, but then leaving it up to them to figure out the how we're going to achieve it. And even if I'm you know, not sure about their approach or I disagree, I give them the time to do it. So that's been something that's been a little bit difficult for me, but it's something that I continue to work on. And um, I think the other aspect, you know, is working on effective communication and effective repetition. One of the things that's really important is you often think that maybe I've shared this or I communicated and people understand what I want or what I need, but it's actually important to... Uh, repetition is just an important part of communication and, and helping people understand the context so they know what you're trying to achieve as an organization and their part in helping achieve it.
1: Yeah, great. <laughs> Switching here to to products, you, you work with product teams and the product teams came to you to help in designing their product experiences, their processes, their testing, their prototypes, defining their roadmaps. So, What do you find that is the most common problem these product teams find on a daily basis and how do you solve them? What do you do to to help them solve them?
0: I think that, you know, there's a diversity of problems that you face and it depends on the maturity of a product team. It might depend on the company's stage of growth. There are different areas of focus. If I could distill the challenges that we see often, and this is in startups or an enterprise, I think one of the biggest is that teams, you know, they don't have a shared vision and understanding of success, what success means, right? Especially when you're in a large organization, uh, strategy, UX, engineering, they might all be part of different functional silos in the organizations. They might be reporting to managers that have different goals. They might have different incentives and metrics, you know. So getting teams aligned is really critical. And alignment is hard at any time, but it becomes exponentially harder once an organization starts to scale and you're bringing more people on board. So the earlier that you can address Alignment issues and focus on that, the better. If we're dealing with organizations that have an alignment problem, we might run what we call a vision sprint. And the goal of the vision sprint is to help them develop their North Star, to develop their purpose. You know, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? What are the most important problems we're trying to solve? Who are we solving it for? And how are we going to solve it? And from the Vision Sprint, the goal is to achieve this kind of clear, inspirational vision that we can then cascade into the organization strategy that will cascade into their operating plans and their product roadmaps. So I think that that is one of the keys there. Also in alignment, one of the areas that we really focus on is aligning teams on how they measure success and how their metrics give them insight into whether they're meeting their strategic objectives. So in many organizations, teams are very much focused on product-based kind of output measures. Did we finish this in time, on budget, in scope, all of those are great. You can be a feature factor, you can release constantly, but that doesn't tell you anything about whether or not you're hitting your strategic targets. So one aspect of aligning the team is understanding, you know, what are the outcome-based measures that are really important to them? And then how should they be measuring it? So I would say that that's one aspect. The other aspect that we often find when we work with organizations is that they may not be getting the they may not have the customer and market insights that give them the information they need to make strategic decisions. You know, we've worked with companies where it can take weeks, even months to capture customer and market insights. And sometimes it's because the product team doesn't have, you know, the processes and capabilities for doing really robust and ongoing continuous product discovery. I worked with a company that was really stringent about which groups would be allowed to talk to their customers and channel partners and when they could do it. So we started a project with them in June And then when we asked about setting up customer interviews, we were told that that would only be possible in October during their official partner summit. I mean, for a product team, that's a really long time to be fuzzy about, you know, what your customers want and what the opportunities are. So in cases like this, of course, we want to address the immediate challenge. So we did some guerrilla recruiting. We decided that if it was difficult to talk to partners in the U.S., we would go global and we reached out to global partners where it was much easier to get connected. But also part of our work was working with the product team to help them define the processes and systems that make it possible to do repeatable product discovery. And part of it was just as simple as setting up a shared research hub where all of the different product teams could put their research and everybody could have access to the same information. Since one of the concerns was about, you know, should we be allowing different teams to bother Clients with their questions. What we did was suggest why don't you just create a list of the customers who have agreed that they can be approached, identify the frequency with which you're approaching them, and then so people have visibility. Oh, Team A contacted them uh, three weeks ago. I'll wait two weeks or I'll find another candidate. So even small measures like that can make a really big difference. And then I think third, you know, one of the problems that we see is that really it's very difficult for teams to start small. I mean, everybody has the idea of the MVP, but if you've looked at M- MVPs teams created, they're almost always the final product. So it's like let's take we we wanted to have four bells and whistles, but. Three is going to be our MVP. So one of the things that we really focus on is helping teams understand that it's great to have a big vision. It's important to have a big vision, but you need to translate that into small projects because what happens when you just create a big project, a huge initiative with no clear line of sight about how to actually execute on it, people just get burnt out. There's a lot of activity that doesn't lead to any meaningful outcomes. So our recommendation then is just to focus on what what MVP is going to allow you to deliver value quickly, to test your assumptions and to gain directional insight. So Barry O'Reilly is a friend of ours. He wrote this book, Unlearn. But he has this concept of, you know, creating your 1% solution, which is figuring out what is a very simplified uh, subset of desired functionality that's going to be delivered to a very small subset of your customer segment. That solves a problem end-to-end and allows you to learn and test your assumptions before you go big. So we are a big advocate of that, and we use problem framing sessions and frameworks to help organizations really focus on fine-tuning their product challenge or problem statement. And then we might do a four or five day design sprint to get cross-functional alignment on the most important issues the customer is trying to solve and then create a minimum, a prototype of the minimum viable product very rapidly that they can test with real users. And all of that happens within four or five days.
1: And do you feel that the three main problems that you focus are different between B2B products and B2C products? So teams work differently or the focus is the same the process is the same how does does it work
0: i think that you'll see these problems across b2b b2c you'll see it at the startup level you'll see it at the enterprise level i mean i think overall you know if you're developing products for b2b or b2c as a product manager or as part of a product team, there's a lot of overlapping responsibilities and objectives. You know, you want to understand your market and your customer, you want to create a vision and a value proposition for your product, and then, of course, you want to deliver it as quickly as possible. I think what's different in our experience with B2B versus B2C is that with B2B, you're often creating a product that's targeted to a very specific industry or set of professionals or specialists instead of a more generalized consumer. And that means that you need to have in-depth knowledge of that industry generally. And that can be a really steep Learning curve, right? But you need to have the credibility around that industry to be able to communicate effectively, to share your ideas about who the users are and what their needs are. So there's work that needs to get done. You know, last year, our actual first fully remote design sprint was designing a cloud based platform for field based medical science liaisons, so MLS. And the goal was to streamline scientific exchange and communications with HCPs and KOLs, and you know, there were all of these acronyms and a lot of unfamiliar jargon. So, and very many complex processes that were really specific to that industry. So, when you are designing a B2B product, you need to understand the ecosystem, you need to understand uh, the terminology. Another thing that we found with B2B is that it could be more difficult to uh, customer research and discovery in B2B. You know, there are a lot of services that allow you to connect with consumers. You can go on user Research and say, hey, I want females who live in New York and are 25 to 30. But if you're looking for someone with a deeply specialized background, it can be very hard. You know, so in this particular example, we needed to talk to oncologists who were specialized with pediatrics. Those are really busy individuals. There are relatively few of them. So getting time to interview them or to have them test a prototype can be really difficult and you might have to do a lot to incentivize them in order to ensure that you get their insights. So in cases like that, when we need to do research with B2B, we might be doing outreach on LinkedIn. We might be offering substantial incentives to professionals to connect with us. I think the other thing that's important about B2B is understanding your personas. In B2C, your buyer is usually your user. In B two B, that is generally not the case. You know, usually your buyer, someone in procurement or someone in IT or maybe it's the head of a department who's never going to use this product. So you really need to understand uh, the buyer persona in B2B. You need to be aware of what their concerns are. You need to ensure that you understand their motivations. And they're typically concerned around cost and integration and how are they going to integrate this new platform into their operations. So there's a lot of detail that goes into understanding their processes and understanding how you integrate in their environments with B2B as well.
1: And that's a lot.
0: (laughs) And that's a lot. Like we, I don't think we have to discuss all of it.
1: Yeah, let's just wait for our productized masterclasses that you are going to be talking about and doing Q&A and speaking with people. Then my next question is more regarding the design. And between a product that is digital and a product that is physical, what do you find is the most important job role of design in this case? And what should be the priority to be able to build a product that really fits the needs of the user?
0: Uh, And when you say design, is it around product design? Yeah, product design. Uh, So like B2B and B2C products, I think physical and digital products Again, you have the same objectives when you're trying to create a product. The core tenets are the same. And I haven't built that many physical products. I I mean, my experience is really my first working experience related to creating those special packs. But I think what is different about digital and physical products is that, you know, the development life cycle, is quite different. And then uh, you need to consider like costs and distribution. So if you're creating a physical product, in general, it's just going to take longer and it's going to be less iterative, right? With a digital product, as long as you can pay for the, the resources and the talent you need, you know, you have developers, you've got your product manager and designers, they can make changes fairly rapidly. When you're creating physical products, there is this longer development and iteration life cycle because manufacturing processes may be difficult to change. You have to consider distribution channels, unit costs. All of those things are really hard to adjust and can often be pretty expensive to change. And then I think with uh, designing physical products as well, You really need to understand the production, the end-to-end production process and the supply chain. So... I needed to think about things like how was I going to source like raw materials and packaging and what were all of the production steps and guidelines, you know, all of these areas around logistics and, and distribution, right? So taking the book as an example, I'm going to take Barry's book again because it's right next to me. You know, if I am offering this to someone digitally, it's pretty simple, you know, they just need to download it. But if I have a paper book that's going to be delivered by mail, there's this whole service experience that's related to that. For me, as a product manager, is completely outside of my control. And then, as you would imagine, a paper book has added costs for each you need to print and manufacture versus, you know, if I was delivering an e-book, which doesn't. So I would think like those would be the key things, you know, the length of the development life cycle, the costs that are the unit costs that are associated, and then how do you deal with distribution effectively?
1: Yeah, and all the competitors are in digital. It's more quickly to have competitors than in physical to get to know real products that really are your competitors, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, in digital, right, we now have platforms that allow us to scale very quickly to create and launch products really quickly. So you definitely might be facing uh, a lot of additional um, competition when you're creating physical products. There are a lot of costs that are associated with startup that you might just not have to deal, you know, like, how am I going to manufacture it? Where am I going to manufacture it? Do I need to create my own facilities, et cetera? So that you probably don't have to consider in the same ways with digital.
1: Yeah. So Candice, you are going to, to be with us on the Productized Masterclasses on May 27. You are going to open the stage of our Productized Masterclasses. And you are going to talk about redesign your organization to innovation. That actually that is the title of this podcast. So I would like to remind people that are watching us that you can go to the, our link on chat and uh, write your name to, we are going to raffle a ticket at the end for the product as master classes. Candice, do you want to give us a, a sneak preview of your talk? What we are going to listen on May 27th? No. <laughs> If you don't, we can move. (laughs) No, I'm teasing.
0: Uh, I'll just say that I personally am really looking forward to the masterclass sessions. I think the speaker lineup and the topics are fantastic. And I think people are going to come away with some really actionable, field-tested ideas for creating more innovative products and for becoming better product people themselves. So my talk about redesigning your organization for innovation is about how do you actually operationalize those learnings that people are going to get? You know, how do you intentionally build your organization and organization at any level? I think our mental model of an organization is a large enterprise. But Organization happens at the enterprise level, the business level, the team level. So, how do you intentionally build your organization for collaboration, for agility, for experimentation, for learning? And organizational design has a really huge impact on product design because if your processes Are broken, if your people don't collaborate effectively, it is going to make your products ineffective and broken as well. So it's actually really important to make sure that you have the foundation of organizational design to create great products. So, you know, we'll talk about what organizational design is. I think most people may not be clear on that, but I would love to have questions if anyone has questions in the chat around, you know, what are your questions around organizational design, but we'll start with what organizational design is. And it's essentially about creating systems of work to align people, process, purpose to deliver the company's Uh, strategic objectives. So we'll focus on that. We'll touch on the types of choices that need to be made when you're designing your organization at any level, as we mentioned. So defining your strategy, deciding on structure, What your processes are going to look like, how your entire employee life cycle, you know, how do you actually reward and incent behaviors uh, within your organization? So we'll consider all of the factors that, you know, are going to help you create a workplace, whether it's virtual or in person, where people actually want to work you know, where they understand their purpose and their role in delivering on the organization's mission. And most important, they feel empowered to participate and to experiment and to um, create new value for customers. And then we'll figure out like um, a couple of approaches that we can take from organizational design sprints, you know, to create small tests for organizations. So, Let's see if we can do all of that in 18 minutes <laughs> when we get together.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it was a, a short sneak peek. So if it is, was, was good now, now imagine on the day. So just go to our comments, write your name, raffle your ticket. It's a huge opportunity to be with Candice O'Brien on May 27th. Candice, we are running here out of time, but I, I really have a question that I did. I I, I said to you that I would asks you that what do you envision for your future, let's say, in the next five years? You can say it personally, professionally. What's, what's your in your bucket list? Uh,
0: you know, I definitely want to continue creating. I love what I do. I love helping visionaries bring new ideas into the world. I started studying Spanish because, you know, I've been meaning to for a couple of years. And uh, so COVID presented the opportunity. So I think in the next five years, I'd love to live in Spain for a little bit and try, you know, abuse people's ears with my very poor Spanish. And then I want to support companies and uh, causes that I believe in. If I think that they make the world more efficient, more creative, more healthy and more fun. So I want to be able to support all of those kinds of causes and, and those kinds of companies.
1: Yeah, that was curiosity of our side to understand uh, what people envision for their futures. Thank you, Candice. Uh, now I'm going to open here the the chat. If you have any questions, just chat here below all of your questions here, if you are watching on YouTube or on Facebook. You can write your questions. When people were registered, actually, we have a question from Mariana Rabassal. That is, she's from Talkdesk. And she is asking, how does design thinking and sprints help build scalable products? Do these techniques apply to platform products? So
0: I think design sprints provide a repeatable process for creating products that can scale and that can evolve as we, you know, as we continuously understand uh, the customers' needs. Are uh, really inherent in design sprint a five day design sprint process are steps that you need to do whenever you're creating a product. But we put it all together and it happens in five days. So it's improving communication and bridging internal gaps between teams. We've often run sprints where we brought cross-functional teams together and people are like, oh, we've been working together for the last three years and we've been sharing email, but we never met, right? So it's this opportunity to bring people together and break down silos in communication that's really important, the other aspects of Sprint is that we focus on helping people find their North Star, or we help teams find their North Star. So how can we quickly align teams around a shared vision and some clearly defined you know, goals and deliverables? Another element of sprints is that inherent in the process is that we're acting on consumer insights. So within sprints, there's this process for doing mappings where you map out the user experience, you're identifying what matters most to the customer, and then you choose your area of focus. Another aspect, I think, of developing scalable products is really being able to have and share divergent ideas. And sprints, just the way the process works, gives you the ability to do that. And uh, finally, it's about prototyping what your ideas are and getting directional insights from your users. And that, again, happens in a sprint. So I think all of the approaches that are, you know, that should be standard within a product team in terms of understanding customer needs, focusing on um, the most important and prioritized needs that they're going to deliver on all happen with the sprint. And then you actually, you know, create a prototype to get insights as well. So, yeah, so I definitely think that, it's design sprints are helpful in building scalable products and in terms of platform products I would say yes I mean the goals of platform products are the same often when you're developing a platform product people tend to think of that our developers are our end users but it's actually you're designing your platform for the customers of your customers so you need to think about beyond the developers to the actual end users who are going to use specific um, products on this platform. And so a design sprint can help, can really help product teams focused on platforms to consider all of the audiences and the personas that they need to solve for.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Candice. And one last question, because we are running out of time. And before we go to the raffle, do you have any books you would like to, to recommend to us? Any any tips, any advices? I think in
0: terms of books, I keep showing Barry's book, but which is a great book. I definitely recommend it. I think for people who might be new to product management and are really interested in learning more, you can't go wrong with reading Marty Kagan's book, Inspired. He really lays out the blueprint for creating high performance teams that allow you to deliver great products. So I would definitely recommend uh, his books. Uh, And then just in terms of general advice, it's, you know, being a product manager is there's a lot of work that's involved with it. There are a lot of responsibilities, but it's really your role to know your customer understand their needs and and being able to dial into that so a lot of people put it you know we talk to product teams that haven't talked to customers in a long time and you know that is essential that is foundational get to know your customer and really align the value proposition of what you're creating to what their true needs are
1: thank you very much